You're listening to Artist Edition, episode 38. This is an interview with Herb Trimpey, co-creator of Wolverine, artist extraordinaire. He gets into some of his various credits and his loves of various things. If you'd like show note reference links for this episode, you can go to esn.fm and find episode 38 of Artist Edition using the search box, just Artist Edition 38, or just click on the Artist Edition tile on that front page. You can subscribe to the Giant Size channel on ESN and get these interviews, the main Giant Size shows, as well as test pattern, pre-show, post-show, deleted scenes, that kind of stuff, all in chronological order in your podcatcher of choice. You can find those links on esn.fm. This interview was excerpted on episode number one of the second volume of Giant Size on esn.fm, the episode where we talk about the X-Men with Merlin Mann. Without further ado, here is an interview with Herb Trimpey from a recent Dallas Comic-Con convention. Enjoy. So it is my distinct uh, pleasure, it's a complete honor to speak to the one and the only Mr. Herb Trimpey, uh, co-creator of Wolverine, uh, penciler extraordinaire, you see his art, you know it very distinctly. Um, speaking of distinct it's art, true. speaking of distinct art, I actually wanted to start by asking you about something that I, I understand you to be a big fan of, and ah. that is classic EC comics. Oh yes. Now... EC Comics, I, th- I, feel, I feel like... Uh, I'm not it's... saying I bought them, hey. but I did read them. You read them. You looked at them. Yeah, I did. You were influenced by I them. I had a friend that bought them, so I didn't have to buy them. <laughs> what, what, uh, what EC Comics do you remember reading that, that, uh, that, that maybe nudged you toward the direction of, of doing, doing art as what you did? You know, what, what, was, what was the stuff that you liked the most? Well, actually, the, probably the comics that nudged me in a in a positive direction towards comics was was the Disney stuff when I was younger. Like the Carl Barks stuff? Yeah, especially Donald Duck and some of those characters. And then, of course, the iconic Superman, you know, later on in junior high school. And, you know, there was a tremendous amount of interest there. But I was, I, th- I think it was probably one of the reasons I didn't buy a lot of comics, except for more of the cartoony stuff was because um, I had it in mind to, to, to develop a comic strip. Uh, I, I thought the syndicated strips were the way to go if you wanted to do picture and story, um, you know, formats. That didn't work out. <laughs> Not, I actually did try it at one point, um, around the time Marvel went bankrupt, back in the 90s, and... Uh, but yeah, I, I, I was crazy about the stuff in the strips, uh, like Dick Tracy and Terry and the Pirates, and uh, I mean, this is prior to Peanuts even, you know, which was obviously monumental as far as um, success and interest, and you know, the licensing and marketing of you know items that were related to Peanuts. <clears throat> so, so I wasn't I, I wasn't really a Superman uh, a superhero fan. Superman was probably the only book I wasn't even interested in Batman at the time. But I, I was probably in comics as far as comics go, as far as far as non cartoony type comics go. I was probably much more influenced by Superman I think than any other any other comic until I got into high school. And then along came EC, (laughs) which (laughs) 
changed well, a lot of people when it, it came it, to their, their uh, comics fandom, to, right? That, that's what I recognize as what a comic should be, and that is four or five stories in a book or less with a punchline, not this droning on and on from issue to issue and, you know, uh, all these, the inner workings of the characters and all, you know, if you, if you, if you want to write classic literature, write a book, you know, you know, make, make comics entertaining, a quick read, non-involved, get it over in one issue and move on in the next to something else, you know. <laughs> As we all know, that's not how it has gone, <laughs> you know. But I love DC for the action, the the, the storylines. The um, later on, the people I actually got uh, to know or talk to who work for EC, like John Severin, Marie Severin, Jack Davis, um, um, who who did a. Uh, friend of mine uh, at Marvel, John Verporten, who was production chief, commissioned a Jack Davis drawing for me for, for, my, for my birthday. And uh, 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 this was probably back in the uh, <clears throat> 70s. Got Jack do Davis to do a caricature of me in a Phantom Eagle outfit. <laughs> and um, I was... It, it, it was very similar. If you remember the TV guide covers he used to do, mm -hmm. it was just like that. It looked like the beginnings of a, you know, or the without background, kind of a brief version of a a um, TV guide cover. It was just fabulous, fabulous um, cartoon drawing. And he was my favorite. He was of all the EC artists. He and well, there were three actually. It was him, John Severin, and uh, and um, um, and Wally Wood. Yeah. So, you got into into doing comics. Uh, you're extraordinarily well known. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, the the it's a mystery that, to me. The, thing, the things <laughs> things that a lot of people you know want to pick out when they when they hear the name Herb Trimpey, they think the Incredible Hulk. Uh, they think Wolverine. If they're if they're a guy like me, who's a, mm -hmm. who's a fan of the Defenders. Your, your my favorite, that was one of my favorite titles, literally. Tremendously underappreciated. Yeah, you know, I thought so. You know, the thing that I liked so much about them is that they were really this disparate collection of, of different people. And in particular, I'm a huge Doctor Strange nut. Anybody who listens yes. to my show has heard me drone on about the Rings Doctor of Ragador Strang and Hori Hosa Pogon <laughs> enough for they, a lifetime. No, they, they, that, they were great titles. And I don't know if I had mentioned it to you yesterday, but if somebody had um, asked me, uh, of all the big group uh, characters like Defenders, say, say versus X-Men, which one would have become the most popular title, you know, as it was developed, I would have said Defenders hands down. I mean, I, the X-Men to me were... I mean, they were tertiary characters yeah. and quite boring, actually, I thought. They in had the, their in the initial beginning. run, they dropped off the face of the map, and, and they got and revived, and people think of the X-Men as well. I mean, that's one of the iconic groups now, but... Yes, I know. I, you know it in, it in wouldn't day, have been my pick, yeah. you know? It, it wouldn't have been my pick 
that Transformers would would be, you know, what they became over, say, Shogun Warriors, which I thought was a much more, I mean, to me, you know, like, uh, there's a level of believability in fiction that you need to have to sell it, you know, no matter how fantastic it is. And Transformers, to me, are ridiculous. They're just... And hard to draw as well because they're so detailed and there was so much reference that you had to follow. But I, I thought they were, you know, I, I thought Shogun Warriors, they were operated by human beings, mm -hmm. which added the human element. I mean, I think socially we're in a serious problem. We've got a serious problem. If we can take the human element out of a character, uh, albeit they're uh, aliens, supposedly, and, you know, turn them into, you know, that robots become, robots that turn into things that aren't logical, they don't make sense, you know. Yeah. It's like the scales are all wrong. I mean, how can one of the main um, Transformer characters become a pistol? And how, yeah. how, how does that work? A giant robot turns into a gun that a different robot of the same size can you, shoot. Sorry, it's a scale issue that I've had for a long time. I hate it. <laughs> It's, I, I, I can't stand it. There you go. Thank you so much. You're welcome. No, it's just so ridiculous. I can't, I, no, it's so, it's so ridiculous, you know. I mean, I, we watched 10 minutes of the first movie, <clears throat> and it started out with a fight. There was some sort of battle yeah. going. Which you really, with CGI, you really couldn't follow it, you know. Things are happening so fast. That you, yeah. I mean, the toys, at least, work mechanically. I mean, I'm much more interested in the Transformer toys than I am anything they do in the comics or on screen. Because they actually, you know, you can see how they work. But it's like the hand is quicker than the eye with CGI. Right. It's just a blur, like, yeah. you know, see things slam, banging, slamming, boom, and they got a car. <laughs> a Porsche or whatever. Well, when I was a kid, I remember I, I was technically a fan of the Transformers cartoons, even though I was really much more into the toys. Right. I the toys more than I ever watched Yeah, I like the toys. The toys are pretty cool. In fact, I got one of them. It's a, it's a jet of some sort. You know, like an F-14 that turns into somebody. I don't know. It's well, like, uh, speaking of, of, uh, of movies and giant robots and Shogun Warriors in particular, did you get a chance to see Pacific Rim? I, that's on my list. I keep seeing promos for it, trailers. I got to say, you know, exactly what your issue with Transformers was, which I didn't see. I didn't see the first couple of Transformers movies until uh, until a, a buddy invited me to a, an early private screening of Transformers 3 that, that he got. You know, he's, he's, that's nice. He's, he's chummy with the Paramount people. And right, like, that's he, he nice. Said, he said, you're my cousin today, so come in and watch this. And it was it was garbage. Uh, but it was it was flashy, interesting garbage. You know, Leonard Nimoy had a voice in, so you know it, it could have been worse. He did. What did he as he a, was, one uh, of the robots? Yeah, he was he was he was you know uh, an ancient Autobot that had been you know hibernating for years. So here he is, Leonard Nimoy, who is old, and they couldn't even give him a young part. He had to be an old robot. Too. Oh yeah, that's an insult. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> It's just awful, these guys. That is so funny. But the but this Pacific Rim movie, the thing the thing that you that you disliked about Transformers that I like about it so much that I think honestly, you know, I know I know for a fact that the director uh, and the writer were were 
inspired somewhat by Shogun Warriors. Right, like right. A, you know, right. The, human, the human connection that's running the giant robot. Shit, what am I doing? You know, you can... You can <laughs> no, excuse me. Oh, uh, it's okay. Yeah, okay. You, got, you got knuckles and claws that you're focusing on. No, um, go ahead. I can't. But the, 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 movie, uh, the movie does so much better of a job of following the physical action, and it's, you know, these giant robots... It's it's like watching two giant you know people grappling and throwing each other and and uh, and fighting and everything. And that, I know. that that kind know. of actual sense of gravity is something that that you see in your work, whether whether you're dealing with somebody the size of the Hulk or somebody the size no, of that's right. or one yeah. of the robots. Absolutely. Um, that's that's absolutely correct. You did a, a lot of work on GI Joe. You've done a lot of work mm-hmm. on all these various characters, and and uh, one that's that's near and dear to my heart and many hearts is the one that you're drawing right here in front of me. is Wolverine. Uh huh. And I'm I am one of the type. Uh-huh. I am one of the type who feels, you know, I don't know that we needed to know this guy's origin story and you know what he had. For no, lunch. They, they live on that. And I mean, they that's they've survived on that, really. You know what? What? What was having been there from the start of this character? That at the time, th- this was not Marvel going. Oh, this is going to be. We're gonna. We're gonna make this guy into one of our no, top tier yeah, best no, guys. No. You know what? What was? What was it like there at the at the inception of Wolverine well, it, as a it, creation? It, it was primary. It was primarily a character. I mean, you have to remember in Hulk 180, 181, the main uh, adversary, the Hulk's adversary, is Wendigo. So the, the, again, the the uh, Wolverine was basically uh, between in that conflict was kind of an interloper, uh, you know, kind of a third-rate character introduced to uh, supply uh, a request that Roy Thomas uh, had, which was <clears throat> he knew where the storyline was that the Hulk was in Canada, and he wanted to take that opportunity to introduce a character that was Canadian in origin. Not necessarily a superhero, but just a kind of a tough, aggressive, you know, kind of a small individual who had much more strength and power than his, his physical size would indicate. And um, for, for what reason, I don't know. Maybe for the Canadian market or... You know, to create some... I, I don't really know the reason. <clears throat> but at any rate, you know, that, that was basically the idea. And a lot of the characters that we came up with in those days for stories, especially villains or tertiary characters, were, you know, just off the top of the head. There wasn't a whole lot of planning that went into these things. You know what I mean? And Wolverine kind of fell into that category. You know, and John Romita was art director at the time, and, uh, you know, we, we just basically, he was, like a lot of characters, he was kind of born, you know, fully blown, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was very shoot from the hip type thing. So what's, what's your feeling on, uh, on... On explaining more about his background and well, and, you know, and who he is directly. I mean, does that does that he in, had, from your he, perspective does that help or hurt? He had no inner. The, the the guy in the suit was there was no explanation for the guy in the suit. He was just a guy. The suit was what it appears to be. It was just an outer uniform with mechanical 
claws that were not part of his skeletal form. They weren't Nazi implants or genetically manufactured, uh, you know, uh, body parts or anything like that. I mean, that all came later, you know. The character was entirely changed. In fact, I, I saw there was a, this, I was looking for some reference or something. I ran across a discussion in a chat room about whether they could claim that this Wolverine was actually the first Wolverine. Well, I mean, the argument is simple. If he was called Wolverine, <laughs> regardless of appearance, he is the first Wolverine. But the character evolved very deeply, um, depend, you know, depending on who was writing it and how the artists that were doing it interpreted it. Um, I obviously had no influence whatsoever on anything that went past the guy in the yellow in the yellow outfit. And he wasn't really popularized until he became a member of the X-Men and then the X-Men became, you know, summer blockbuster movies which, uh, which, which put Wolverine into the international spotlight, basically. That character, the Hugh Jackman character, really has no... Uh, there's, there's no, no historical connection, really, between that. I would like to see them... If you're going to develop a backstory after the fact, I would like to see a little more about this guy's origin. You know, yeah. I'm sure maybe they've done it. I don't know. I'm so far out of the loop yeah, now. They, I, I mean, they have, they have I so, have, so many different Wolverine yeah, books. Yeah, I, I know. It, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to keep track. I, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, even if I was trying to keep track, you know, like you say, it would be very hard to do. So, you know... All I know is, with, with the popularity of the Whisker Wolverine, as he's commonly known among many fans, <laughs> Whisker Wolverine, uh, <clears throat> though the most... Is this the headshot, Freedom? Okay. No. Oh, that's good. Uh, so Wolverine... Uh, um, sorry, I, I lost my, my uh, train of thought there for a minute. The, the Whisker Wolverine. Yeah, the, the, the Whisker Wolverine, although is the one that popularized the character, the requests that I get are not for that character, you know? I, I've had, like, three, maybe, in the last five years, fully, full-figured drawings of the human Wolverine, the Whisker Wolverine, the Hugh Jackman-type Wolverine. And everybody wants the old one, the original. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, somebody must be going to see those movies, right? I mean, I, but they don't seem to. But the the fans really aren't. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not that interested, you know. <laughs> it's it's weird. I don't know how that that that's the thing that confounds me the most, you know. Really, is why if if Hugh Jackman popularized Wolverine, how come fa comic book fans? I mean, the only thing I can say is, is that Hollywood obviously doesn't care about comic book fans. All the movies are altered in a way <clears throat> that popularize, that would, that would promote the, the character to a much wider viewing audience than, say, comic book fans, you know? I mean, that was certainly true with the first Hulk movie. It almost bore no resemblance to the origin of the actual Hulk character, not only his historical 
you know, not only in terms of his history, <laughs> but in terms of uh, what he could do. For instance, the idea of getting larger as you get angrier. You know, I mean, well, I, I, why? <laughs> you know? I mean, so that somebody has, isn't it has, bad has, enough? Oh, well, this, this is my stamp on the character. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it is. Hollywood is filled with giant egos, you know, and everybody wants to make their mark as far as as far as the development of a character goes. And once Hollywood gets there, I mean, you've heard stories, I'm sure, over and oh, yeah. over again, how they'll take a book that somebody sells, and you know, and you have well, for instance, I a, a classic example. Um, Jeez, I can't remember his last name. I got my mind just has gone blank. But I don't know if you remember this series, Jim um, Valentino. No, no, no. That's the first Jim, I think. Yeah, of. yeah, no. It, the uh, it, it's it's he's really outside of comics. He's a he's a a, a commercial illustrator. Um, but he he developed a series uh, of wonderful paintings and stories called Dinotopia. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I can't think of the guy's name, but yeah, I, I know Dinotopia Jim quite well. Jim Varney, Jim Turner, Jim somebody. He lives in our area, actually. Uh, Hollywood wanted that series. They wanted to do, you know, uh, uh, a series of films based on those characters. But the deal was he would get a giant sum of money but have absolutely no directional control of the storyline or the characters. Here's a giant bag of money, go away. Yeah. He didn't he didn't take it. Well no. I would have. <laughs> but he didn't. And he wound up having he wound up selling it to I want to say a TV network. A TV network. Like, yeah. That did a really poor job yeah. of 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 the of that idea, and but yet he supposedly he had he had some control over what was being done, and you know so I don't know what's better, go with the big guys and let them really do a. You you know, just, just do do what they're going to come up with. Do what they're going to come work up in that industry. And and you know, what what was the movie with the blue guys? The uh, Avatar. Yeah, like Avatar was fantastic. I loved it. You know, I mean, some of my friends like to say, "Oh, it was terrible and it was derivative of this." And I'm like, "Well, let me tell you all the things Star Wars is derivative of." Well, let me tell you what every yeah. Let me tell you what everything is derivative of. I mean, everything. I mean, you know, they're still making movies. That are modern versions of Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, they, I mean, talk about ripping the guy off. I mean, <laughs> you know, at one point, at one point, does it be? I mean, I mean, I don't. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I don't know. When I remember in school, um, the English teacher, we were reading short stories. Uh, you know, Jack London and things like that. When I was in high school. And the English teacher said, "There's seven basic stories." <laughs> and we and he listed them, or she listed them. <clears throat> and my experience tells me that that's pretty much true. There's basically they're very limited the number of story themes in, in 
There's so many variations, yes. But you can almost take any story and make reference to it in a whole genre of similar type plot lines, you know? So, I don't know. <laughs> well, you've got, you've got more drawing to do. You've got uh, the rest of Con Sunday to get to. What I wanted to close yeah. out with was all these people come up to you at these conventions asking you to draw stuff. What, uh, whether it surprised you the most or whether you, you, know, you liked it the most, what request uh, has, has kind of come out of the blue and, and, and surprised you a bit? You know, not something you get all the time, something maybe a little bit off the wall or something a little bit unique. Um, <clears throat> naked Betty Ross with her clothes shredded. <laughs> Are you serious? No. Yes, I'm dead, I'm dead serious. Uh, so something that wasn't mildly creepy? Scarlet on a beach in a bikini. Some, some, okay. some real deep Okay, okay. to get away from that, from the <laughs> naked ladies category, um, a B-17. Really? Because they know I'm interested in airplanes. <laughs> a B-17. Just whatever, however you want to do it. Um, oh, my God. Uh, requested a show. Okay, uh, a signing. Here's a weird signing. Okay. Well, I, I've signed a number of baseballs. Which I would have loved to have done as a baseball player. <laughs> so, so would I. But, you know. You know. <laughs> um, but as far as signings go, a uh, woman comes in. The visor from her Dodge van, uh, Ram pickup. She wanted a signing on it. The sun visor. Yeah. <laughs> And she wanted like a Hulk sketch on it with a marker. No, just, oh. <laughs> that I have, I have never heard of somebody being handed no, a, uh, a car oh, sign no, visor to sign. No, it's it, signings. Uh, interesting shirt signings with the shirt still on the person, <laughs> namely a lady. <laughs> like here, you know. <laughs> It's delicate. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a delicate, it's a delicate situation, especially when your wife is sitting next to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, he was talking about weird things. Weird, weird, weird um, commissions. But uh, well, th- thank you so much. And as, as one of uh, as one of my favorite Doctor Strange artists, among yeah. other characters, it's been my uh, pleasure. Thank you so so much. My pleasure, man. Yeah, it's good. Like I said, you can find show note reference links for this episode of Artist Edition at ESN.FM. Use the search tool if you have trouble finding it. You can also subscribe to the Giant Size channel, as I mentioned earlier, and get all of the main Giant Size shows, these Artist Edition, uncut interviews, and pre-shows, post-shows, deleted scenes, little bits of extra stuff interspersed throughout chronologically in your podcatcher of choice. By going to ESN.FM, click on the giant size channel feed tile and choose iTunes or RSS, whichever one is your flavor of choice. Next week on Artist Edition, we will have an uncut interview with English comics artist Ian Churchill, who's worked on a bunch of big two stuff. He's got a creator-owned book at Image. He's got another creator-owned one that he's working on with Jonathan Ross. Uh, Really great interview, really great to chat with him recently at the Dallas Sci-Fi Expo, so watch for that. And again, rate and review the shows in iTunes. That is a huge help as we're launching this network and getting it off the ground. 
previous giant size interviews that were available at five by five will eventually appear in this artist edition feed and even all split up. So those two hour long episodes, you'll have the individual Kelly Sudaconic interview, the Hope Larson interview, the Stan Lee interview, all that stuff, uh, all, all, uh, all broken up into nice digestible chunks. So keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much for listening to artist edition. We will be back next week with more. <laughs>